brand of companies is not just the product you provide. You can have the best product that you provide, but if the whole customer experience is not perfect, then all of a sudden you're going to build this sort of toxic relationship with the brand. Even though the brand is trying really hard to make a connection with you, if the whole experience isn't thought out to be frictionless for the customer, it is going to build some resistance with the brand. Hey everyone, it's Megan, and you're listening to a Better Product original series. Liana Herrera is the president and co-founder of Bottomless, a direct-to-consumer smart coffee subscription. They send you a Wi-Fi-enabled scale that automatically restocks you with fresh roasted beans whenever you're running low. Speaking of founder market fit, Liana started Bottomless not because she wanted to be a founder, but because she wanted to solve a problem. It was a problem she experienced personally and... She knew she couldn't be the only one. Yeah, so we never wanted to do a coffee subscription specifically. What we wanted to solve, what I wanted to solve is my own problem of, hey, I'm getting way too much of one product and I'm not getting enough of another product. And to a lot of people also care about having great product at the right time when I need it without running out or without getting too much to the point where I'm wasting uh, money and I'm wasting the product as well. Brand is so much more than a logo. When we talk about brand, we're talking about not only more than a logo, but also more than visual identity. It's the entire customer experience that plays into your brand perceptions in market. Brand is truly how you appear to the world and everything that goes into that. Liana shares what's next for Bottomless and how you can shift your mindset from just building and getting something off the ground to moving into growth mode, something many of our listeners can relate to. From the first time we did it to now, it's basically the product works and people love it and we can get you the stuff that you need at the right time. So that is from the product perspective. We have great retention and we track it. And obviously, if we see something changing, we dig deeper. But on the other end, companies don't just have to make a great product. They also have to grow. And that's a different sort of thinking that you do for actually building a product that works. In the growth aspect, you actually have to do a lot of experimentations. Let's get into the conversation, starting off with how Liana's idea for Bottomless truly came to be. So I started discovering coffee. Obviously, Portland is a place where you can find great coffee everywhere. And I just started drinking it with my co-founder. What happened is that I noticed that fresh coffee directly from the roast was actually better. And whenever I would run out, because we would drink a lot, just have to go to the roaster. Basically, it's the only place you can get fresh beans. And during that time, I can like 80 hours a week. I would get off work at a 9 p.m., 8 p.m. All the coffee shops are closed, the grocery store. And then I would just, I was out. And coffee at the grocery store, you can tell the difference of the quality. It's not even about being super passionate or anything. It's just once you've had really fresh coffee and you try the non-fresh stuff, you you just can tell. And so I'm going to be paying for the same thing and spending the same money. I want the stuff that tastes better. So I would do a bunch of stuff to figure it out how to get it. I would take breaks during you know my work to stop by the roaster, but I get always just being out and ended up having to go to the grocery store and the coffee was worse or going to Starbucks. And I was like, I want to give my business to these roasters and I want the product to me 
fresh so I can consume it? Why can I have it? I'm willing to spend the money. And so we had that experience on one end of not being able to get that product specifically that was better fresh directly from the roaster. On the other end, we were having a different experience with Soylent, which was, you're sending me way too much. Yeah. Before you go in there, what helped define Soylent? I'm vaguely familiar, but for our listeners, what is Soylent? Well, Soylent is a meal replacement, like powder. Now they come in powder, drinks, and like different form factors. But when I first subscribed it, it was just basically powder that you could drink to replace meals. It had all the nutrients that you would want to have. So it's replaced having lunch or whatever, especially if you were busy or working out a lot or things like that and making sure you have the right nutrients. I would get uh, a subscription of a big box where I was like, okay, well, it's like $70 for Chipman. I love this product. Let me just get it. And I don't always work out every day. I didn't always want to drink Soylent for lunch. So my consumption of Soylent was very inconsistent. And I would just be busy with my life. And then all of a sudden I would get a notification that another one was coming. And then I would be like, it's already chipped. What am I going to do? And then I would just go about my day. And then another shipment would just start coming. And then I had three $70 shipments already in my home. I'm not even done with the first one. And so it was like a very similar experience than coffee that I wanted a product. And I didn't want to have too much of it. And I have to throw away this product eventually if I can't drink it. And then on the other end, it's, hey, I don't have enough. I really want this fresh product that is best and I'm willing to pay for it and also support the roasters. And so they they were all coming from the same problem of not knowing when I needed that shipment. So that's where we got started thinking about how we solve this. And I think you're leading to where I, I wanted to go next, which is really thinking about you're not the first subscription coffee. I think I remember when people talk about Blue Bottle, you could get it delivered and things like that. So as you start thinking about what you all wanted to do, what did you want to do differently? What was the key thing that you felt was going to be different about the way you were bringing Bottomless to market? So we never wanted to do a coffee subscription specifically. What we wanted to solve What I wanted to solve is my own problem of, hey, I'm getting way too much of one product and I'm not getting enough of another product. And to a lot of people also care about having great product at the right time when I need it without running out or without getting too much to the point where I'm wasting uh, money and I'm wasting the product as well. I love that you were trying to solve your own problem. And I know you had a co-founder, but I'm curious, were were you ever worried that what if that we have normal or like, do other people have the same problem? Or were you pretty convinced that this was something other people also had challenges with? That's actually very interesting. We just thought about it from this principles. This is a problem that a lot of people experience. This is a reason why there's grocery stores like near you. So people can go to the grocery store, getting the products right to you immediately wasn't a problem, then we wouldn't have a bunch of things that actually are worrying that. So I just wanted to solve my own problem. I wanted to be like, hey, I'm sure people are experiencing this. I'm always running out of stuff. Sometimes I run out of stuff. I go to the store and then I come back to find out that I run out of something else. The reason why we always have to think about this is because there is no legibility on how fast you go through items. There's no legibility on how fast you go through coffee, specifically in my case, or Soylent, which happened to be those two of the products that piqued my interest. But there were also like a lot of problems in terms of just 
your household in general. And my founder, during that time, he was working at a restaurant. And he also was experiencing a different version of this where there was a whole entire one person's job to go around and literally count with napkin math, just reorder what was needed. And with restaurants, if you order too much, you also have that problem when you create a lot of waste um, because the product is perishable. And if you don't order enough, um, you also have the problem of not having enough product to be able to, to supply the demand. And for restaurants, every sale matters. And so we were experiencing the problem from a lot of different ends. And we just came back to not just about, hey, let me make a better soiling subscription or coffee subscription or stocking restaurant thing. It was just trying to define why was that a problem and where did it came from? It came from the fact that there is no legibility at all on how much someone goes through an item. There's just not. And even humans, you will have to have a very an algorithm in your head or very good at estimates and have the time to put into just like making sure you are keeping track of all your products. But we're all busy these days. And that makes me wonder too, and this is a little bit maybe expanding beyond coffee and bottomless specifically, but when you think about that, it seems like what you're hitting on is this theme of too much, too little, this variability, and you don't have the consistency. Do you see that this problem in the D to C world, this direct to consumer, do you think that this is starting to emerge as something that's like providing regularity and consistency being important? This has been a problem for a long time. But back in the day, women were full-time housekeepers, but their whole job was to make sure they did, that the house was stock and now women have better things to do so they're not keeping an eye an eye close as they you know used to keep back in the day and so the legibility aspect it is something that affects the whole entire supply chain not just direct to consumer products but yeah i experience this all the time with direct to consumer products i have i subscribe to the supplement and i have three unopened supplement bottles that I'm probably never going to go through and I'm going to end up canceling because I never started using it and I'm probably never going to subscribe again. Instead, with the legibility of how much you're going through, potentially a company can tell, hey, Liana, I noticed that you haven't really started using your supplement vitamins. Why is there anything I can help you with? And sort of prompt me to actually start using it, right? So that's one possibility that can improve the way you engage with products. That makes a lot of sense. When I think of bottomless, there's a challenge with the service you provide in my mind. I'm looking at your website. The branding is, is very distinct, but it's not bottomless coffee. You're not the roaster, you're your purveyor, right? And then there's the scale itself. Then there's the quality of the coffee. There's all these facets that make up things that are maybe outside of like bottomless itself. So I'm curious, when you think about a great experience with Bottomless, with a business that you're building, how do you view success with your customers? Is it that they don't think about you? I'm just always, coffee's just getting refilled. I love this. Or is it, are you trying to remind people of the value that you provide? And what I guess I'm trying to get at is almost, it seems like you're building this business that if it works really well, it fades. But I'm wondering if that's a good thing or if that's a thing you're trying to go for. I want to provide a frictionless experience for every customer that joins in the platform. I don't want anyone to have to think about that one thing that they've subscribed to with Bottomless. And it's not like they're not gonna they're not gonna get reminded. They're gonna even be more excited because the experience is magical. It's imagine that you are 
drinking the last of your coffee and all of a sudden you get a notification that a new bag is arriving. It's like, I don't have to talk to you every day. I don't have to send you marketing emails to just remind you that even though I'm not actively talking to you in the back, I'm actually doing what I need to do for you as the consumer, for you to have a a great experience. And I think that's the one thing that I believe very strongly. The brand of companies is not just the product you provide. You can have the best product that you provide, but if the whole customer experience is not perfect, then all of a sudden you're going to build this sort of toxic relationship with the brand. Even though the brand is trying really hard to make a connection with you, if the whole experience isn't thought out to be frictionless for the customer, it is going to build some resistance with the brand. For example, with my soiling example, there was a time where eventually you canceled the subscription and I had to throw away some of that soiling when I moved out and it just did not feel great. I felt bad. I felt bad because, hey, I am being wasteful. I'm throwing away something that can be used and now it's fire because I got too much. And now I have this bad feeling association with a brand, a great product that I love. And I think that's happening a lot. Like, for example, even with, with a lot of different products is, hey, even though you might love that one product, if the whole experience of getting that product to you isn't great, it's going to be very hard to actually build a great customer experience. And churn, it's a well-known problem for a lot of direct-to-consumer companies for this specific reason. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but you're totally right. And for me, I I always have a guilt. Like I'm almost like ashamed as well. Maybe that's the right words. I had to throw it away. I was like, oh, I'm like ashamed that I have to do this as well. It's not you. It's not the brand. It's me. But you're almost trying to remove that from the equation. That's really smart. Exactly. And then you end up just being like, hey, do I pick feeling like crap and feeling terrible and shameful that I have to throw away this product that I got way too much? Would I prefer that experience or would I just settle for whatever I can find in grocery store or maybe go to Whole Foods to see if I find something here, the quality of this company? And that's why people don't stick very long into the direct-to-consumers brand because that whole experience as a whole is not built to just make sure that it's completely frictionless for the customer. So this whole idea, I, I don't want to gloss over. This is not uh, simple. You, you're all building a company, this consistent coffee being delivered. And I'd love to learn a little bit more about how you make that happen, what you have, the, how technology plays a part, both in managing the subscriptions and this, like the scale itself. So how do you make this work? I know this sounds really cliche, but what we did in order to build that experience for the customers, we just imagined what would be the perfect experience for us as consumer and what we wanted out of the products that we got that we love. First of all, I wanted to get them shipped to me. I wanted constant communication of when that product's arriving. I also, I want assistance with that product. I want people to tell me like, hey, you can use this product this way, or maybe you can improve your coffee game this way or that way or whatever it is. And I also want to be able to get that shipment arrived to me, not too early, not too late, but just about the right time. And that is actually the hardest thing to do. It's not simple to actually get consumers products exactly when they need it. Everything from dealing with 
USPS and the whole entire supply chain of how we actually make the order all the way to when it arrives to you is very difficult. We have a lot of AI machine learning systems that are running on the back end. Uh, we have a lot of infrastructure that we've built ever since we started the company to just make sure that experience that we the customers have from the beginning all the way to the end is completely frictionless. To me, it's like this, what you're describing is like similar. Okay. On the outside, coffee, bottomless coffee, your coffee will never run out. You'll never have too much. You never have too little. Okay, cool. Makes sense. But behind the scenes, you're a tech company or tech enabled to make that happen. There's a lot of technology there. It's similar to me, like how Netflix became this gigantic tech company, even though I don't think the average consumer would say, oh, that's a tech company. It's maybe it's just tech enabled. It seems like you're using tech in, in a way that's experience oriented, but it's almost like undercover. You wouldn't think of that on the outside, but I'm curious if you see it that way on the inside. Bottomless is a very difficult business to execute from that standpoint. I always say that the bottomless core tech could actually be like three different businesses on its own, just because of the complexity that goes in. To be honest, I don't think about it that much. I just focus on the customer and how can I enable them to actually have a great experience. Yeah. So on the outside, people might try to debate it maybe with investors or things you, you but sounds like for you, it's like, it doesn't matter to me. I'm just focused on providing great experience. And if technology helps us get there, fine. The labels don't seem to be as relevant to you. No, I did not do bottomless because I wanted to get into tech or because I wanted to start a company or because I wanted to do a startup. I got into tech because I wanted to do bottomless. And even with bottomless, I wasn't really thinking about getting into tech. I was just like, hey, I want to actually make this product and put it out there because I believe that in the future, people are going to have more than one product that they love, be in track with devices that are so cheap that we can give them to you for free and they'll get those products at the right time. So let's imagine that you are so successful that everybody is on board and we're getting our coffee on time. What's next for Bottomless and how do you grow from that? Obviously, we want to do First of all, we're an early stage startup. We still have a lot of ground to cover in the coffee space. But a few years in, we do have plans to do more than coffee. We plans to do other products. And we believe that every consumer has three to five products that they just can't live without. And if you run out or you don't have it, it just ruins your day. So our goal is really to build a sensor-enabled marketplace where we connect sellers of all different products and we provide all the technology for consumers to actually get those products at the right time with a bunch of different sensors. Okay. That makes sense. This show that typically the guests I've had on the show are really in the digital product space. And I wanted to do this series on direct to consumer, more consumer minded thing, because I think it's this hybrid approach. But as I'm thinking back on what would people be really hoping I asked you in digital products, you know, we have features, we're going to go out to these enterprise customers, and we're going to build out our feature sets here, we can grow this roadmap. But there's ways that people have built metrics around, hey, how successful are we there? What I'm really curious about from your perspective is when you look at success, or even how you just said it, that you still have a lot more to do with, with coffee. How do you maybe manage that? Like, how do you know you're succeeding? Or how do you set metrics that help you figure out like, hey, have we done all there is to do here? 
Actually, it's it's really funny because I didn't really think about a lot of those metrics when we started the company. We just had one question, hey, are people going to use it and is it going to work? But over time, we've learned that Bottomless itself, just the product itself, without actually doing anything other than just executing our product, has incredible retention because we make a very great customer experience. So we don't really have to worry about the product not working because it already worked. The retention basically is only slightly better than our very early prototype that we made. So from the first time we did it to now, it's basically the product works and people love it and we can get you the stuff that you need at the right time. So that is from the product perspective, we have great retention and we track it. And obviously, if we see something changing, we dig deeper. But on the other end, companies don't just have to make a great product. They also have to grow. And that's a different sort of thinking that you do for actually building a product that works. In the growth aspect, you actually have to do a lot of experimentations. And it's really strange to me because... I am a very direct-to-consumer consumer. I buy a lot of products online and i always aware of everything that people are doing to grow. But being on the other side of like actually trying to do the same thing, um, it sort of tells me how difficult it's actually to do that. And then growth is a lot of just experimentation that you never know what exactly is going to work. So on that end, we're just doing a lot of low-hanging fruit that is, hey, this stuff that we really haven't focused on that are growth-related stuff. We're working on that and we're doing a lot of experimentation to try to figure it out what top of funnel growth engine we can build out. But that's completely different than actual product working. What's been the biggest surprise for you as you've grown this company? Is this related to Bottomless in specific or in general? Because I've been surprised the whole entire time in this journey. But if you have any specifics. <laughs> uh... You've definitely got me more interested if and the second part, like in general. But yeah, as it pertains. So you're a co-founder of Bottomless. You had a distinct personal desire and saw something there. And I know what that comes, we said earlier, of some risk of like, do other people feel this? But you felt pretty confident of that. But I do know along the way, you're constantly correcting the view that you have of things. And so I'm just thinking as you build bottomless, what's something that sticks out as, wow, that, when I think back, that did not go how I thought it was going to be positive, negative, neutral, whatever. Specifically in bottomless, that is actually the surprising thing is that what we imagined the product was going to be before we got started, before Michael said, hey, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to do this, the bottomless product that we had thought about and ambition and figured out exactly how it's going to work is exactly the same way it works now. There's things that change, but they're like details, but not the actual way it was going to work. That hasn't, that's remained unchanged the whole time. And that is to me very surprising because you hear a lot of stories of people, oh, I did this and I found out this out and then I did this thing and then I found out this out and then I got eventually to the product that worked. In our circumstance, we just did it. We proved some of the things that we wanted to prove at the beginning, some open questions. But besides that, like the, the experience is the same. That is surprising to me. And then from just the building the company perspective, it's just more about I'm an introvert. I am an only child. I didn't really understand what actually hiring and building a team was like. And that has been a very surprising experience as well. 
You and me both. I'm not an only child, but uh, all the rest I can attest to. Building a team, it's, it's not something you can really ever prepare for. Well, I would like to shift to maybe the macro level because of your D2C, just as a consumer yourself and building a company, I'd love to get your thoughts in general on what you see. I, I was reading today, so Warby Parker just announced they're going public and they filed and all that. And one of the things that stood out was that 65% of their sales over the last year was in-store sales. And I was just like, wow, if you had asked me to guess, I never would have said it would be that much. I mean, we know eyeglasses can be sold. Yeah. I was like, wow. Okay. So this gives some hope for brick and mortar stores and all that. And so does Bottomless ever have a store? Or maybe if that's too specific of a question, is it, do you see this hybrid happening as well, where you're using digital to its advantage and then still finding ways to engage in person for Bottomless or just in general? Do you see anything around that? Any trends? Warby Parker makes sense that they would sell 66% in stores. I've actually bought stuff from them, but buying a glass is a very personal experience because you get a bag of coffee, maybe you like it, maybe you don't, but you probably are still going to drink it as long as it's not terrible. But you're not going to get some glasses that are not going to look on you because that's just who you are as a person and it's like your image. So it makes sense why people would want to actually go to stores to make sure the glasses worked fine. But just to answer your question in terms of like other products with the into the retail, I haven't seen, I mean, obviously the typical trend of, hey, let me just expand the digital world out to more different channels. And obviously retail is one of them. So that's always been the case and that's continued to happen for a long time. A lot of people are trying to get into retail. I am assuming that it's a lot easier now because there's a lot of independence, very premium specialty products where a lot of these direct-to-consumer products actually would fit well versus the trying to get into more of a grocery store retail, which is you know, a different ballgame. It is interesting to think about how it's almost like everybody's online, then getting back to being in person and rethinking what does it mean to engage a customer in person is probably not the same as it used to be. Well, it's just your growth channels. And especially with the state of how acquisition and Facebook and CACs blowing up, everyone is trying to find non-pay advertising methods of growing, right? And retail is a good way to do it, especially for stores that have a lot of food traffic. This has been great. And I've really appreciated your time. But I, I always love to know, what are you looking forward to most over the next year for Bottomless? I said a little bit about discovering how to actually build a team. I think over the last year, I've gone from not knowing how to actually do that all the way to feeling like I have a handle. What I'm looking forward over the next year, actually continue to grow our team and continue to work with really smart, passionate people. It really fuels me. I wake up every day being like, hey, I can't let my team down. I need to focus. I need to be the best founder that I can be because I have all these people looking up to me. And that is something that pushes me forward. And I'm looking forward to that. And then on the product end, I am really excited about getting to to more people out there and having all of them experience what uh, a real great customer experience from beginning to end looks like and getting them used to this sort of technology because in the future, this is going to exist and Bottomless hopefully will be the one. You've got me converted. You sent me coffee. I'm a huge fan. I'm going to sign up. Where can other people go to sign up and and how can they get on the, the Bottomless bandwagon? If you want to support this mission, you can come 
and try bottomless at bottomless.com slash better product. Let's think about the future of having all your products arrive at the right time with a complete frictionless experience. Thanks for joining us. And if you haven't yet, be sure to join the better product community. We've got all sorts of content and resources for you. And if you want more audio, don't forget the business of product is our latest show to join the better product network. And you can find that and more at betterproduct.community.